This is Channel 253. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rood, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Candice. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, informing an empowered electorate. I thought we were empowering an informed electorate. In In the the city city of destiny. Hey, Doug. Hey, you're not Candace. <laughs> no. No, I'm not Candace. I'm uh, Will James, reporter at KNKX, as you know, and uh, just had a really, really interesting conversation with Tacoma City Council candidate Courtney Love, who's running against Connor McCarthy for the at-large uh, position seven. Yeah, and this one goes a little long, but you'll want to stick with it the whole way. Yeah, I think for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. All right, enjoy. Welcome to the Citizen Tacoma podcast. I'm Will James, filling in for Candice Rood, the usual host. And we're here today with Courtney Love, uh, a candidate for Tacoma City Council, one of the at-large positions up this year. And we'll get to politics. I think we need to establish right off the bat that you are, in fact, uh, not the front woman of the 90s alternative rock band Hole. That is correct. Which I, who I thought I would be interviewing today, but I'm I'm sorry, it's a disappointment. It's a, a or pleasant I'm surprise glad it's to a see you. <laughs> um, very excited to talk to you. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but actually, we we talked once before on the phone, mm-hmm. and it was the um, there's like a deadline to file for a candidate to to run for local office, right? Yes. And uh, for reporters, it's a really exciting day because we get to see like the makeup of the local races. Uh, for the rest of for the next uh, few months, and so I'm watching this website update in real time as candidates register, and I'm watching the Tacoma races, and I see this name pop up, Courtney Love, right before the deadline, like right before the door closes, and I'm like, what are the chances that Kurt Cobain's widow is running for political office in Tacoma, Washington? It's not zero percent. It's, it's like <laughs> pretty slim, <laughs> but it's not zero. Like, mm-hmm. th- and so I think, you, unfortunately, your phone number pops up when you register as a candidate immediately on this website. So I called you right away, and I think I essentially asked, like, "Are you are you that Courtney Love?" Like, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. And you, we cleared that up right off the bat. Yes. And um, so very happy to see you here. Um, Thank you. And you know, you grew up in Tacoma, right? I, yes. Um, one of the things I've been, I've been talking to people in Tacoma lately, I just did a story about kind of change in Tacoma. And one of the things I've been asking people, people who have lived here for a long time is if you grew up here, like, do you see all of the changes you've seen in this city as mostly positive on balance or mostly negative? Because if you did grow up here, you have seen this place change a lot. I'd say it's been positive. I have early childhood memories of riding the bus downtown and having lunch at the Woolworths counter. So I existed when Woolworths was an active Woolworths. Wow. Yes. And I remember just wanting all those old brick buildings to be alive again. And now they are, or 
sadly, we've lost some, but the ones that exist, continue to exist, they're re- <clears throat> they've been rejuvenated. They're they're existing in our community as places of action, and that's very exciting to me. And then um, it, when I was older, in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a lot of gang and activity in the hilltop and all over Tacoma. And in response to that, my mom went to work for Safe Streets. And so from an early time in my life, I've been participating in community mobilization. And so Tacoma is not nearly as violent uh, as it once was. We were the third most violent city on the West Coast behind Oakland and Compton. So that improvement is notable. And at the same time, I feel like what we did was whack-a-mole. We didn't solve the problems that lead to drug and gang activity. We pushed it out of Tacoma, or out of the hilltop anyway, and into other areas, uh, mainly Parkland Spanaway. So describe real quick what Safe Streets is in case someone doesn't know. Uh, It was a community mobilization um, grassroots group uh, fighting drugs and gangs in the Tacoma area. We would go into neighborhoods and host uh, house events where we would teach people how to document activity. And then we, the police department um, or the city would send letters to like the owners of the cars via license plate. Hey, your car was seen at a known drug house. Um, It was kind of letting people know, we see you. So stop. It's putting the light on kind of thing. And then, uh, we also organized pickets and graffiti gang cover-ups um, and things like that. We would we even picketed um, a, a home a, a land a, a landlord in right. Gig Harbor who refused to do anything about being a slumlord. So so how how old are you as all this is going on and your mom is involved in? Um, I started when I was twelve. Wow. Yeah, sixth grade. And and. Activism is kind of your pathway to being a city council candidate now, as yes. we sit here now. Tell me, you know, how that happened. You know, what was your pathway to, you know, twelve-year-old activist in Tacoma to running for city council now? Well, I've always had uh, a bit of an opinion, <laughs> and sure. not and no fear in sharing it, and. Uh, I did take some time off of the political arena uh, because I felt like uh, politics is too dirty. I don't want to get involved with that. Uh, I'm going to go into this other area of my passion, medicine, uh, healthcare. Um, and what do you do? In, or what, well, what did you do in healthcare? Uh, I've been a biller. I've been a phlebotomist. I worked in food service in, a, in the hospital for a while. Um, not in that order. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I've gone to massage school. But I don't have my license at this time, so. But that will probably be something I get in the next few months. And uh, I considered going to Bastyr University to be a naturopath, but uh, between the timing of that consideration and then I became married, it, it just it, and the impending debt that comes with that, it uh, it just got pushed back a bit. So you know, life happens. Politics kind of recedes from your life for a little mm-hmm. while. What brought you oh. back? What brought you back in? Bernie Sanders. He uh, let me know that there are like-minded people because I always thought I'm way left of everybody. It seems, and I was a dedicated voter, and so 
on my 18th birthday, I cried. And my mom and my aunt said, why are you crying? And I said, because I'm so excited that I can vote. I can finally vote. So it's always been in my heart. Um, but it was just not, I didn't, so I've been voting for the people who were the best option out of people who didn't make me enthusiastic. Uh, so I saw that I have a community who we, we are all living to the left. Our ideals are to the left of what's being offered. Let's get together. We also uh, found that there's a movement to anti-corruption, getting money out of politics. The corrupting influence of money in politics touches every level of government, and I am ready to make that change. And so uh, that's what got me back involved. And then I started, <laughs> I started uh, on Facebook with people in Washington. There was a Facebook group um, for Washington Bernie Kratz is what it was called. Now right. it's Our Revolution, Washington Bernie Kratz Coalition. And we think that coalition is the most important word there. Uh, and so we, were, we developed a, a questionnaire for vetting. We started sending them out to all the candidates that we could. We uh, wanted to find other people like us and, uh, and network around the state. And so since then, we've been making connections throughout the state, uh, building up our local coalitions, reminding people to find those. If you, ha if you find someone who's a single-issue activist, bring them in on that issue. If you find... Um, Someone who identifies as a different party, it doesn't matter. As long as we can work together on this issue or the other, we will do it. And that's why it's a coalition. So we don't care if you're a Democrat. We endorsed uh, someone who identified as a Lincoln Republican. And he also ran as a libertarian in another race. But Where he, was that? Uh, up north. He ran against Del Bene in the oh, okay. last cycle. Uh, and uh, he's a constitutional scholar. He's a lawyer. He's rather impressive. Uh, but the way the verbiage he uses, you think, oh, you're a Republican or someone on the right. And then but then his conclusions where these ideas bring him Medicare for all debt free college. He's very much aligned in, in what it looks like, but he is able to communicate it in a way that people on the right embrace him. So you come from the world of activists organizing, like you said, um, during and after the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. um, what was the the step from organizer activist to city council candidate? Like, <laughs> like what was that decision like? Un oh, it was nerve wracking, um, and there wasn't a lot of time put into it. Uh, that deadline really looms, and <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, I was waiting for somebody else to step up because I I kind of enjoy the activism part, the uh, organizing part of things, and I was getting better at it. And I was I started at the state level and was starting to you know I had started working on getting people from counties together, and then you know I was working on my own, but I feel like. Uh, there was more. There's more organizing to be done at the county level locally, uh, so I didn't feel like this was uh, like I really finished my project. But uh, I'm not an, a single issue activist, and we're running out of time. And when we've got 2030 for climate change looming, just a decade plus one ahead of us, like that's um, there isn't 
time to do traditional routes, like uh, try to get appointed to a committee and try school board or try, you know, try these smaller jurisdiction uh, races. We're running out of time. So, yeah, you're, you're referencing the fact that, like, in local politics, there's kind of a a, a, a pathway, right, yeah. that a lot of people take. And it, it starts in kind of, like you said, you know, maybe you run for a school board or maybe you sit on a city council, like a, an appointed committee or something. And you kind of get more well-known and you make friends and you, you work your way up. You, you're aware that it sounds like that you kind of skipped a few steps and just oh, yes. dove right in. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? How has that learning curve been like the past few months? Well, um, it would be nice to have a few more local connections. And at the same time, they're kind of a burden because then the decisions you make uh, might impact your friend negatively. And uh, that's one of the best things about running a campaign that's people funded and not from industry donations is that uh, I'm not obligated to make you happy because you didn't give me money. And so it's a plus and a minus. Uh, But I'm up for a challenge. I enjoy a good challenge. And also, I know that um, it doesn't generally take me long to make those friendships. And because I've lived here all my life, I do know some of these people. I know them because of other life. And, uh, you know, we have mutual friends in real life or we are, you know, at least acquaintances in real life. Uh, I'm not completely unknown to a lot of people. And at the same time, um, I'm not obligated by those relationships to uh, cater to them. Yeah, we should say, you know, some of your connections are, you know, uh, I think you're a member of Democratic Socialists of America. Yes, is that right? the Tacoma chapter, yeah. Um, and you are a local uh, Democratic uh, committee precinct, person, yes, right? Yes, precinct committee officer. Yeah. Um, I think we should describe real quick what DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, is. Um, you know, just give people kind of the 101 version of, of what that group is. Well, that's the newest one I've joined. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and it's, it's made... It's been over a year now, but I'm still learning all of what DSA represents and what it means. And I don't have a lot of theory background, but what I have is aligned policy. And so it's uh, democratic socialists aren't about change necessarily. I mean, many DSA members do want to move away from capitalism. You know, I'm not saying it's a a one size fits all, but uh, the idea of democratic socialism is uh, applying regulations to capitalism that protect people and workers, and then also providing a social safety net with a tighter weave than we currently have. Hmm. So uh, it's people-oriented, worker-labor-oriented. So uh, it's, you know, you don't get a UBI without a jobs guarantee because one without the other kind of fail. So you are, you know, becoming more and more engaged in these issues in the past couple of years, you decide to make this jump and run for city council. Uh, which part of Tacoma do you live in? I live in South Tacoma right now. South Tacoma. So so you, you have a choice. You know, you can, you can run for your local district city council race. You can run for the open at-large seat that has no incumbent right now. Or you could run for the seat you're running for, which is an at-large seat representing the entire city. And it's got uh, an incumbent 
who is, um, you know, he has a well-known name, kind of part of a mini political dynasty in, in Tacoma, Connor McCarthy. Why run for that seat, given the truth? It seems like of the three choices that you mm-hmm. chose kind of the most difficult path. Well, well, of that, I actually am limited to two choices because okay. my district is not up this year. Oh, I'm in the yeah. fifth. So, uh-huh. only, so I'm south of 56th Street. Gotcha. So of the two choices. Uh, and so uh, I thought there'd be a lot of political flack from diluting the uh, running against the only uh, in the race that has another woman in it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, also, um, there was nobody really challenging McCarthy at the time. It, it, it turned out that another friend of mine did file and then but then backed out. Uh, the following Monday. Is that Kyle Jolly Boys? Yeah, Jolly yeah, Boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just, and I oddly have some name recognition <laughs> by accident. It's borrowed, as oh, you might I see. say. Yeah. So, so Courtney Love uh, is, in fact, a political asset, the fact that you share to a name. To some with, degree. Yeah, it's yeah. an asset and a burden. <laughs> That's really funny. Actually. But it, I count on the second look, like, what, what? And, right. Uh, I'm, right. This can't be. And then they look me up. No, it's not her, but oh my gosh, she's people-oriented, she's worker-oriented, she's environmentally-oriented, um, that's what we need. And surprisingly, if you Google Courtney Love Tacoma, you are pretty easy to find oh, excellent. on Google. Yeah. I've Googled it. Uh, I find that if you put elect in front of my name, I'm, okay. uh, I'm, I'm like the second blurb up. I'm sen- as someone with an ungoogleable name, I'm very sensitive to these things. Right. So, um, yeah, before, before you couldn't Google me. Okay. And find me. But you add Tacoma or elect and you got me. So you actually chose this particular race, you know, in, in a way because it had an incumbent um, that that didn't really have a, a strong challenger at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to talk about the primary because, you know, you weren't the only one, as you said, to file against uh, Connor McCarthy. And, you know, that race was just crazy. I mean, so you have yourself and uh, Brett Johnson, right? Yes. A another candidate looking to challenge Connor McCarthy. And someone with, you know, another first-time candidate but a little bit more traditional path, you know, he's a local business owner and such. And at one point, it is a race to find out which one of you makes it to the general election. And I think you're separated by something like four votes. At, at, 13. By 13. Okay, by mm-hmm. 13. That was the tightest it got? Yes. Well, no, it got tighter, but uh, or, but it, uh, at the end, I had a 13 point. Oh, at the end. Oh, that's mm-hmm. how it ended up. Okay. Mm-hmm. What was that week like? It was like three weeks. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it, it literally not just feeling that way. It was a three week process for that recount and right, finalizing. Right. And um, it, I was oddly just... Um, I, well, the negative parts that were going through my head were what more – I should have done more. I should have done more. But at the same time, uh, I remember on election night, I'm at the party with multiple candidates and our cr- kind of crowd of people. And it was uh, – people were like, oh, you know, so sorry because it was closer to 300-point spread on election night. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm fine. Uh, also because, like, this is just – election day it's not going to be certified at midnight right so i was like let's see how this goes and so i was just unwilling to take people's like concern or you know you know 
maybe next time, yeah, I'm still working on this time. So I just was really, I kept upbeat about it. And it wasn't force. It was just like uh, my innate response to it. It's like I wasn't, I can't say I wasn't worried, but I just wasn't worrying. Wow. Yeah. I don't know why I have that uh, capacity, but there's been a lot of trauma in my life. Once something is out of your control, to spend time with negative energy on it, like uh, just letting it rack in your brain, it's it's exhausting. And so I really try to focus on what are the solutions, how can we apply them, what are the hurdles, what do we have to be, ch- what have to be changed of the structure in order to get to these solutions. And so uh, having that frame of mind just, I think, kept me from feeling down or um, having the worrying set in. And, you know, I should say that the gap was 13 votes out of thousands and thousands of votes cast. It wasn't like 13 out of 200 votes. It was like tens of thousands in this Mm -hmm. race um, altogether, which is just wild. I actually had to learn a lot about the recount process in Washington State as a result of this race. You're welcome. Yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) I I was calling uh, Julie Anderson – um uh, and like trying to pick her brain about like what are the rules for this how does this work and uh you know it it is actually a really really high standard to force a hand recount in Washington state yes it's re- it doesn't happen that often mm-hmm. there was a race in Puyallup where it was also very close um you know it was like you know I think so, it was it, 8 yeah votes, something yeah. like that but because fewer people voted altogether in the race those eight votes didn't force a hand recount. Wow. Like it was only it was only your A's. Was... I'm so exciting. Yeah. It, you know, it was probably the most exciting uh, local you know, thing to happen, a news story that happened out of the primary election. So now you're a candidate. Now you're in it. Yes. You are, you are going to the general election. You are running against an incumbent. Um, what are you hearing – when you go out and talk to people, when you knock on doors, you know, about where we're at as a city in Tacoma? Well, first I start with introducing myself and asking what local issue, what's important to them, what impacts your life on the regular. And their responses to that are um, housing costs, uh, the homelessness, which uh, because it's really about putting roofs over heads, I kind of uh, ideologically put them together. I know that is two different discussions, but sure. housing, um, infrastructure, and uh, and then the third one just kind of wavers between you know safety and um, I don't know it, it's um, it's a list of things. Right. You know, this that third most common spoken about issue. That differs personally. Yeah, person. it really yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um and then I talk about the things that uh don't usually come up at the door, but because they differentiate me between uh, from my income my from the incumbent. Okay. And so then I ask them how they feel about LNG, about the ICE detention center, about Tacoma Click, uh, because these are things and and also money uh in politics, because these are the things that are different between my uh, who I'm challenging. These are things that you bring up yes. and, and ask. And, and what sorts of responses do you get? Are, are, I know the things you just mentioned, especially the LNG plant and uh, the Northwest Detention Center, 
now called the Northwest Ice Processing Center, apparently. They went yes. through a rebranding recently. Um, these are things that have been, you know, flashpoints in the activist community in Tacoma, especially the past couple of years during the Trump administration, I think. But are, are these things that that people, you know, sort of outside that circle are aware of? Is, are these things mm-hmm. that they're thinking about or are these things you have to kind of catch them up on? It, it depends on the door. Right. But I think most of them know they exist, know that the uh, issues are there. They don't always ha- – I think a lot of people will avoid thinking of things if they don't themselves have an alternative or a solution. Uh, it's like it doesn't impact me, so I, I will put it in the back of my brain. But uh, when I mentioned that there's a blast zone map that first came out that shows 12-and-a-half-mile radius, that goes all the way to Lakewood. Right. So uh, most of Tacoma is in the blast zone of the original blast zone map. So that makes them a little more concerned. Uh, We also they also I think most people are like, we need to move away from fossil fuels. But uh, there's there's greenwashing involved with LNG. And so they think this is a great bridge item, uh, bridging fuel. Uh, But then when they find out that from start to finish, uh, on a global scale, the, it's a greater impact than the fuels we're using currently. Um, it really is a, a a shifting point for them. Uh, they a lot of I think most people are against both uh, the LNG and the ICE detention center, uh, but don't make it their priority on a daily life. They're not driving past it at the port. They don't see it regularly. It's not on their property. It's not, um, you know, it doesn't always, it doesn't necessarily impact their livelihood. And so then when you ask them to think about it, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't like those things. Hmm. And so, no, it's not going to be the first thing that someone says unless you're knocking on a door of an activist. And, uh, but it's detestable. Like the detention center, people don't like that. Uh, and if if people are like, I, I knock a mixed bag of doors. If they're like, well, what are we going to do if we don't have a detention center? It's like, well, before Homeland Security, we had a process. And in the immediate time, like in the right now, we can just go back to that process. But we should also at the federal level be creating a more equitable uh, immigration process policy. And also with the impending crisis climate, the Pacific Northwest is slated to be one of the last um, inhabitable places on the continental United States. But in 80 years, we won't have any ice caps left in the continental United States. So while we'll have the last of the water, it won't last long. You know, it's funny. I I heard this for the first time a couple of weeks ago, what you're talking about right now, at an Olympia City Council meeting, incidentally, about homelessness. Um, they were talking about how there's a lot of homeless encampments in Olympia right Mm -hmm. now and how, you know, some city council members were talking about how they don't see this ending anytime soon. And especially as one council member or two council members said, they see a flood of what they called climate refugees, you know, Mm -hmm. heading to the Pacific Northwest in future years. And to hear a city council talk about that was really, I don't know, I'm still thinking about it now. You know, the fact that this is on the mind of local um, local officials. Well, that- I'm embarrassed that Tacoma isn't talking about it 
because uh, I've listened to other candidates on this podcast and in other forums, and nobody's talking. Well, David Combs meant it, there was a question at one of our forums. You know, what do you see for Tacoma in twenty years? You know, what it'll be like in twenty years? And he's like, "We'll be lucky if we have a Tacoma in twenty years." And like, there was kind of some poo-pooing done after his comment, uh, not by the crowd. Um, and it's like, no, that's really, really realistic. That's that's something we have to consider. Um, I don't think it'll be a complete destruction, but it won't be. The plans that the city is making now don't reflect the climate crisis. It reflects the history we've had and the projections from that history instead of projecting, uh, instead of incorporating all the factors that scientists are giving us. So, oh, we're going to experience growth. There's going to be thousands of people coming in to our region. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people coming in to our region when, as the climate crisis is felt more and more. And so a lot of my platform is like dog whistle to that topic. Huh. Yeah. So. Well, I, I really want to get more into these topics, but for now, let's take a breather. Let's take a quick break and then get back into these um, rather grim <laughs> Subjects. I promise I'll have some hope to throw at it. All right. We'll be right back. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Nerd Farmer podcast on the Channel 253 network. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. Alaska is our hometown airline. They remember the TAC and SeaTac, if you know what I mean. Just the other day, I saw Alaska running an ad in a local magazine with the tagline, fly like the mountain is out. If Alaska Airlines can be South Sound proud, we can be too, and choose our local airline. I know of people who work at Alaska. I bet you do too. Sometimes I see them when I fly, and sometimes I see them out and about enjoying life in the 253. And what's awesome is Alaska is the best airline around. Local and the best way to fly, that's an easy choice to make. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP Gold, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to the Citizen Tacoma podcast. In case you're not aware, this podcast is part of a network of podcasts called Channel 253, produces a lot of great local podcasts about this place, Tacoma, and this region. And it's supported in part by members who pay $4 a month. I'm a member of this network. And if you enjoy local journalism, if you enjoy hearing local voices and local stories, it is a great way to make that a part of this town. So I encourage you to do it. And right now, we're talking to a local candidate for office, Courtney Love, who's running for the at-large city council uh, position against Connor McCarthy this year. And before the break, we were talking about climate and the environment. And you know, this moment in Tacoma's history, the past couple years for me, for me, have really been interesting to watch in terms of seeing national politics really become a part of the conversation at the local level in Tacoma. One of the ways that's manifested is with the LNG plant that is under construction right now on the Tide Flats. You can kind of see this big towering cylinder that's there right now. And you know, you, you mentioned it's something you bring up when you're campaigning, when you knock on people's doors, you're raising awareness about it. What do you think is left to be done there? You know, this is a project that was farther along 
by the time activists sort of started really talking about it in a way that was different from the methanol plant that activism played a role in in canceling, right? Um, this project has gotten a lot of the approvals it needs already. So, so as someone who's opposed to this project, do you see this as a matter of finding some way to stop the completion of this plant? Or is it about future projects and making sure that Tacoma does not, you know, sort of go in this direction again? I do think it's about stopping this project. Okay. I feel that its location is uh, disrespectful to the tribe, uh, Puyallup tribe. I think that it's uh, geologically inappropriate. That land is prone to liquefaction in an earthquake. Uh, It is and tsunami. And then it's prone to some inundation in the climate crisis with rising sea level. And it also is at risk from a lahar flow should Mount Rainier ex- erupt. Uh, and then uh, someone asked me, do, do I not trust the engineers? And I said, I do trust engineers. I don't trust Mother Nature. We can't even, I'm, I will not underestimate her. And then uh, factor in human error. I'm, I'm not, a, you know, that happens by accident or by c- being contrived, you know, this, it's been approved with these materials, but we're going to just cut a little cost and get slightly, you know, thinner metal or less quality cement, what have you. Like these risks are real. And so you combine the risks and I'm even more uncomfortable with it. So between climate change and the, uns- the ge- geology of our area and human error, I'm not willing to take that risk. And, uh, I do stand with the Puyallup tribe against it. So, you know, you're elected to the city council. Um, You take office uh, next year, a few months. How do you go about trying to stop this plant from opening? Do you see a pathway? Have you you explored any options for Mm -hmm. for making that happen at this point? Well, I get conflicting reports. So activists will tell me that it's within the city's purview – to order an SEIS, and then city council members will say that it's not. So one, it'll be finding out the truth of what's within the capacity of the Tacoma City Council, and then uh, otherwise it'll be about using the position as a bully pulpit. Uh, One city council, uh, let's just say adjacent person, has suggested that the power lies within the tribe uh, to like legally fight and or the state AG, attorney general, or the governor. And so when you have someone in a position like city council, even if it's not within the purview of the city council, but you have a, a, a council member or members speaking out against things and asking people of uh, great, higher levels of government and jurisdictions to take more action on this, uh, it does more. And so even if I can't singularly make a change, uh, I, you know, at my capacity as a council member, I can at least use the position as a bully pulpit. And uh, I, I enjoy that uh, path as much as any other. The other big way that national politics has been manifesting at the local level here has been, of course, the Northwest Detention Center. And that, that has existed in Tacoma for something like 15 years. 
but it really started getting attention after the election of uh, President Trump. And you know, kind of watching this happen, I kind of felt like people in Tacoma who were opposed to, to President Trump's election looked at that as kind of a symbol of his policies that are happening locally, right? Mm-hmm. But the question is kind of the same. It's like, it's like as a local city council, you know, there was a big push to shut the detention center down a year or so ago, a little more than a year ago. Um, what do you see as the path forward on that as someone who's opposed to, to that as well? Uh, reviewing their business license, it's no longer zoned appropriately to house people in the port, so uh, it no longer meets zoning. Uh, at the county level, it looks like their that property is losing property value, and it seems to be the only property in Pierce County that's doing so. So it's either because it's bad for our property values, or it's because uh, of the machinations of government giving break, financial breaks to private. Um, prisons, basically. And so either way, it's a negative and they need to pay the appropriate taxes or get out. And um, we, I hear... Uh, I, oh, also, I think the health department can be involved. Uh, I've heard reports uh, and I talked with La Resistencia and um, other pe- activists in the area who are having firsthand conversations with people where they're buying underwear and they're dirty and used, where their food is coming with maggots in it, where they're not getting enough health care. And quite frankly, if you've got measles and chickenpox running, running rampant in an adult facility, uh, if, if you've come from an area with low vaccinations r- rates, that means there's a high likelihood of childhood uh, acquirement of these diseases. Therefore, you should have lifelong immunity to these diseases. If you're coming from an area with vaccines, you should have been vaccinated. Now, those might not have a lasting impact and you need revaccination. Those are not being offered in the in ICE. So, uh, but if you've had it as a child and you're getting an adult case of these d- diseases, that means you are malnourished. Like you are living at such a deficit of and whatever it takes for your body to work functionally, that you're acquiring a disease you already acquired or you've been immunized against. That's horrifying to me. Well, it's, you know, the, the Northwest Detention Center is, you know, it's a complicated thing. I, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of the inspection reports and the 911 calls, and there is a kind of this disparity between the accounts you hear from, from activists and the kind of the paperwork, which shows, you know, it, it is... Uh, it passes these inspections year after year, um, and uh, but you, you see the the local government having more of a role in regulating the what goes on inside the center in your in your mind. Do I do I see? Do you it? think the city has a could play a, a bigger role in the internal? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how else the city can manage what happens on the inside since geo group is the owner of the building and then ice is the the management shall we say uh it's there it's not city employees the health department is allowed in um it's last I heard. It's allowed in more frequently than they're legally obligated to, but uh, so I'd like more surprise inspections. Uh, and quite frankly, um, 
we need to, as a city, object to its existence here. Uh, it's it's disappointing because it's in proximity to a lot of resources, and resources have come up, uh, sprung up around it. So it's it's got an existing support structure for those inside and the families in, of those inside. However, we need to be sending a message to the uh, federal government, no matter who's in power. But Trump puts a magnification on the things we don't like, whereas Democratic um, presidents have put a nice face on our negative aspects. So we have to use this opportunity to say this is not allowed. It's not allowed here and it should be shouldn't be allowed anywhere. And there are uh, California and places in California and places in other uh, I think a city in Alabama recently passed uh, ordinances against uh, detention centers and uh, and or for-profit prisons. So we have to take we need to be a small patch of no and help that grow. And uh, eventually, I want that little patch of no to be across the nation. You you did um, kind of allude to the the counter argument to that, which you hear sometimes, which is that the Northwest Detention Center is a place that has uh, that detains people in an area where they have access to things like the legal services of Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, very robust uh, immigrant rights. Well, non-legal nonprofit, um, activists who monitor conditions inside there, who help uh, people who are leaving with basic resources when they're released. Um, and so you hear people say sometimes, well, Tacoma's actually a pretty good steward of these detainees comparatively, so of that, course. Right? To me, that sounds like we make really good Nazis. We're, we're good concentration camp trustees. And I'm sorry, I don't want to be a Nazi. In fact, I protest against them. So how, how much cushion are we supposed to give this issue? Hmm. Um, so I stand firmly against it. You also brought up um, housing and homelessness, and that's something I definitely want to talk about. You know... Tacoma's at this point in its history where, you know, you grew up here. There's always been this kind of clamoring for, like, Tacoma to have its moment, right? For Tacoma to to catch that spark and and see the kind of economic prosperity that people always felt there was potential for here. And now it's kind of happening. But there are all these side effects, right? And I guess if you had to describe what moment this city is at right now in its history how would you how do you describe this moment awkward teens <laughs> <laughs> growth spurt kinda? yeah 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 like um oh i have all this newfound stuff you know um responsibilities and access and you know ooh and people are liking me but um also uh, i still don't know all the things that would go into making good decisions or something. I, that's the teenage feel, but I think Tacoma can, can be doing better in their decision-making. It's not a, a, a precise uh, metaphor, but um, Tacoma has a really interesting history. We were chosen as the terminus for the Transcontinental Railroad. Uh, we say uh, where rail meets sail. And uh, it's because we're awesome. 
were really awesome. And then the gold rush in, in Alaska hit, and people would get off the train in Tacoma, go up to Seattle, and get their supplies there so they wouldn't have to lug. They'd have 35 less, fewer miles to lug all that equipment. So they got the economic boon. And, so, and Right. So that was when uh, the transition happened from Tacoma being the kind of predominant city in this region to Seattle. Right. Okay. And then um, – but Tacoma had the best trolley system possibly in the nation. It, I learned this a while ago, and I can't remember if it was nationally or just west of the Mississippi, but we had this great trolley system. We ripped it out and covered it up and for the benefit of cars, and now we're, like, scrambling to get something akin to it back at quite an increased price and uh, and disruption to our communities. So that's disheartening. We also established public utilities. And uh, then we even developed public broadband in the 90s, the first in the nation. I was giddy. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Hey, you're and, big on click in yeah. your campaign. I just want to mention that you are uh, 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 making that kind of a centerpiece of your campaign in a way, maintaining and supporting click. Well, it makes sense. We are net neutrality is under threat, meaning that companies can charge you more for higher speeds. They can filter what they your searches give you uh, based on how much advertisers are pe- are paying. So if you have a small business and you're not able to pay enough to hit the first page of the search results, you might be on page 18,000. So uh, net neutrality is at risk. And so all over the nation, municipalities are looking at how to install public broadband. And then all over rural America, you've got people discussing rural expansion of broadband. So part of it is a, a protection of net neutrality because local jurisdictions, municipalities can build that into their uh, public broadband system. And Tacoma Click has already promised to hold fast with net neutrality, and I think the state passed a net neutrality law, so we're a little bit protected here. Um, we're certainly protected with, with our public broadband system in place. We control pricing, and so if we give up price control, not only will Click customers pay more, but our neighbors who don't use Click will also pay more because the prices for the private companies that exist in Tacoma are low are as low as they are because they have to have competitive prices. But if we're giving that competitive pricing up, then everybody's price tag goes up, and that's less money in the pockets of every citizen in Tacoma who ha- who has luxury of cable and so, internet. So, you know. As a city council member, how would you ensure that Click is sustainable in the future? Mm-hmm. You know, given the the rocky road it's been on the past uh, couple years, and um, and maintain it as a public mm-hmm. broadband network. So I would like to uh, get a, a. I'd like to have the budget issue reassessed because activists pro-click activists say that the city is um, budgeting in less than uh, transparent ways. And much like the federal government for the United States Postal Service has put burdens on them that they don't put on other government agencies, the primarily the funding of the retirement funds of their employees for 50 years in advance, that's unrealistic. Um, and no wonder it looks like the USPS is underwater. Because they have these this false budgetary burden. And so I want to make sure that that's not happening in Tacoma because uh, that's the report 
that's like the city says this budget, the activists say this budget. And so I want to see I want that to be clarified and so that I'm coming from a place of true knowledge. And then uh, also we have uh, the county council just voted to look into exp- putting broadband, public broadband into rural areas of the county. Well, wouldn't Tacoma be a great hub from which to extend from? Uh, we can have partnerships with uh, the other jurisdictions within the county or the county itself in, in unincorporated areas. So, uh, and the only reason rural areas don't have broadband is because there's no money in it for private industry. So uh, that's another taxpayer um, burden. If we're going to put in public broadband in these rural areas, that's per person in of the rural areas. That'll be a huge financial burden. But if we have cities also sharing that burden, and if we already have a public broadband structure to grow forth from, then we're saving money across the board because it's much like healthcare. If you only have the sickest people in the public option, then everybody's price tag is higher. You have to have the healthy people into it too. So where it comes from click, you have to have urban areas involved in it as well as the rural to make it uh, a more equitable distribution of financial burden. So I want to get back to the the theme of change in Tacoma because that, you know, as you said, when you talk to people out on the campaign trail, they bring up housing and homelessness as their number one concern. Mm-hmm. I, you know, how do you ensure that Tacoma continues to benefit from the changes like you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, the changes that have transformed this place for the better since you were a kid, mm-hmm. while also kind of mitigating the side effects of that, people getting priced out, you know, people um, not being able to afford rent anymore, people, new people not being able to move move here. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, uh, this is where I will sound like a democratic socialist. Uh, we have to decommodify housing and see it as a human right. And that uh, the, the best option for that is to have, uh, at the federal level, elected, elected officials who agree. So we're looking at Bernie Sanders and progressive challengers to congressional members in the area. And uh, shout out to Rebecca Parson. And um, we, because to do it only at the city level is harder. Uh, we have tighter financial constraints we um, also it makes a, a, another a, an extra burden on maybe surrounding areas. Plus, Are you talking about like big big public housing projects. Public housing, rent control, all of it. Um, I, especially for say people uh, under fifty percent AMI, American Median Income. So uh, all this affordable housing going in is not something that a service empl- work employee, service sector employee can afford uh, because their AMI is around 42%. Um, and, or, well, their yeah. So uh, for 50% and lower, we need public housing, if not for everybody. Uh, I'm not opposed to letting wealthy people live in public housing. The Vienna uh, Austria, they have a public housing project where any time a property goes up for sale, the city buys it, and it becomes part of their public housing. Uh, a way to help fund that is, well, one, we have to have a public bank 
in for the city at, or the state. That was a proposal by uh, Senator Hasegawa. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, so we need to move forward on that. And if the state isn't moving fast enough, Tacoma needs to do it on their own. And from what I've learned, and I haven't learned all I need to know about how to start a bank, um, is that it's actually easier to start a municipal or, or a public bank than it is a commercial bank. But, you know, at the same time, it, you seem to be saying that um, this housing problem this mismatch between the money that people earn and what it costs to live um, is something that you'd have to work with bigger levels of government on. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have to mm-hmm. lobby the state and the federal government. And some things we can start right off. Like we can have public housing. That's, I mean, we have public utilities. I think housing could be considered a utility. Uh, I'd like to see a city-ran uh, construction company, you know, city construction, uh, that can put in bids for uh, work being done on any project, but especially for government projects like public housing. And if we start buying uh, houses like the Vienna Project, then uh, they can also be used for maintenance. And uh, so... We can start building public housing now. When it comes to rent control, there's a state law prohibiting rent control, so we need to lobby at the state level to change rent control laws. Uh, we also have an imbalanced – we have the most regressive tax system in the in the nation, and that's a state issue. So it's not – like I know that some of the ideas I have would be easier to apply if we had a better tax system. Because I, I think that uh, where people are in their lives and where what income they're generating should be considered in the taxes that they are uh, paying. So, And we rely very heavily on property tax and sales tax. And that can create an imbalanced burden uh, among the poor. Right. And, and there is a constitutional ban on income-based taxes in Washington mm-hmm. State that Seattle has run afoul of that when they've tried to have taxes that are – related to to people's mm-hmm. earned earned income. But you know, do you see a day when cities like Tacoma should if it were to become possible consider income taxes? I'd prefer to call it a wealth tax. So, um because uh there I I think the one is framing uh, Washington is so in the habit of being like, no income tax, like, and so proud of no income tax. And it's like, yeah, except we've got 14 billionaires living in this state. And if you don't think they can't pay more in taxes, I'd like to reassess your ability to make an informed decision on this subject. So um, we don't have to tax the middle class more. We can tax the the 1%. We've got 14 of them, so and that would generate a lot of state benefits. Maybe they would move, but we wouldn't be abused by them anymore either. Um, so I think we can find an improved and equitable tax system for Washington, and I'd like to see a wealth tax. You know, if there is a kind of model for the kind of campaign you're running, it seems like the, the closest one might be uh, Councilmember Kshama Sawant in Seattle, who is another you know, Bernie Sanders-aligned uh, activist who successfully ran for city council um, and has pushed for kind of big systemic changes in Seattle and, of course, has kind of run afoul of some of her fellow council members too and is not the most popular person among her colleagues on the city council. Do you 
I mean, do you make that link? Like, do you look north to that example as you run your campaign here, or do you see it as totally separate? Well, um, thank you. I I am flattered by the comparison because I respect her, and uh, it's not the first time someone has suggested I am similar to her and the other person was kind of negative in the connection. Well, it depends but, on what you think of, yeah. of Kshama Sama. Yeah. So, um, but they also have Sean Scott and Tammy Morales doing fairly progressive, if not downright progressive uh, races as well. They're also not members. Also in the same yeah. model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so it's an honor to be considered of, of that ilk and uh, I'm proud of it. And uh, I, I hope to be as strong an advocate for the people of Tacoma as uh, she is, and hopefully they, uh, the three of them will be. So, uh, and while running afoul of her coworkers, uh, she certainly makes uh, an impressive um, mark on her constituents. Like, you know, they, they've elected her and hopefully will reelect her come November. And uh, so um, there are certain similarities, and I hope to avoid the negative ones. I think um, that. Uh, and please consider while I either an annual or monthly membership. Be firm in my stance and not waver from the goal. Um, I can do it, hopefully, with as little friction as possible um, by asking pertinent questions like, how does this impact the people? How does this impact the environment? And, and making sure that the people who are funded by industry have to admit that like have to own that you got to own that like i am making this decision because i have donors of the industry and so you know real estate donors uh pse donors geo donors like my income my who i'm challenging has those donors and so um i don't expect them to be like instantly aligned with me but when they're called to the floor in front of the city the people they will have to you know, say, well, I'm making this decision because it's beneficial to these people. So that brings me to my next question. Um, When you run for office as a newcomer or as a challenger to an incumbent, kind of implicit in that is the sentiment that you want something to change, right? Or else why would you be running if you didn't think something needed to change? So what do you think needs to change in the Tacoma City Council? Probably their focus. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of focus on business, which not to say that that's not important. I just have a different vision for that. And uh, I want to redirect to a people-oriented focus, especially highlighting our environmental impacts and what's to come. So we need to start working on preparedness for those impending changes and also discussing. So when it comes to business, I would like to, I I call it advanced community planning. So we have city planning, but in that I want advanced community planning. So if we're increasing population density, we at the same time need to increase uh, transit. We need to Increase. We need to have planned in uh, green space, tree canopy. Uh, I want to see urban farming. I want to see small business uh, space planned into those areas uh, so that uh, if you put in a city's worth of people into a, a neighborhood, uh, 
that they don't have to go outside of that neighborhood to get what they need. So there should be a grocery store. There should be, you know, like, let's go old school, a, a butcher shop, you know, post office, schools, so that uh, we increase walkability uh, in areas that aren't currently. And uh, when you have to have, when when you're planning, okay, people need to be within this zone, need to have everything they need, that means you have to have space for those businesses. And so that increases business. It doesn't necessarily increase big business, but it, it does make more small business owners and more entrepreneurs. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I feel like I've got a lot of ideas for small businesses, like to have, I, I have a couple small business ideas I'd like to see come to fruition for myself. So, um, but we, in that, uh, you know, with the, how the environment plays on that and what's coming, I want to focus on uh, urban farming. We need to be foods, we need food security. And when you have, uh, so we'll make public housing, we'll do urban farming. That takes care of two of the three uh, desperation causing issues that I see. I, I talk about end desperation as um, one of my platform issues. And it's food security, housing security, and healthcare security. Healthcare security is a little harder to provide at the city level. The city level, right. Yeah. But we can do what we can with community health centers and the like. So there's still some impact we can make, but it's not as big as a federal program. Well, the the vision of um, economic development you, you were talking about a moment ago, pe- people-focused development, right, is very different from the conversations you hear right now in Tacoma and Pierce County. I think there's a sense that if you talk to a, a public official in Tacoma or Pierce County right now, you kind of hear that the most important issue is stopping Tacoma and Pierce County from becoming a bedroom community to Seattle. Mm -hmm. So right now, a lot of people um, live here and their jobs are to the north. And so they get in their cars every day and they drive north. And the solution that's been proposed to that is to attract big employers to the South Sound. Do you see that as part of the picture here as, as well? I'm not opposed to it. If we can find something that fits well, I'm down. Um, like if we can get closed loop systems, especially so that there's no waste or um, especially toxic waste into the area, that sounds great, especially at the port. I want to incentivize uh, closed loop and non-polluting industry at the port. And I'd like to, with the legalization of hemp growing, I'd like to see the Tacoma become the hemp processing capital of the West Coast or the Maybe the world. So, uh, and with hemp processing, we get all these, uh, you know, you can make hemp plastics, you can make hemp um, fabrics and fibers, you can make superconductors with hemp, you can uh, make fuel with hemp, though I don't want, I, I'm not a hypocrite, I don't say no LNG, but, you know, the same size tank, um, but with hemp fuel, no, I, no, um, it's too, we're too urban to have that size of a tank of fuel Uh in our proximity. So, um, but it's one of the things that we can produce with hemp. And so maybe the fuel center is uh, off Tacoma, not in Tacoma, but it's still in the Pacific Northwest, but someplace that's more safe uh, geograph- geologically and uh, human wise. So, uh, I, as long as uh, I, unfortunately, it's not that I like to say this, but one of the things I say is that Tacoma is treated like the bedpan of Washington. Uh, 
And I'm just done with that. What do you mean by that? Um, For a long time, Pierce County got almost all the sex offenders from the state because we had the infrastructure to help them. So we have a disproportionate number of uh, sex offenders in Pierce County, and that's tragic. Um, I have plenty of family members uh, who, well, plenty, you know, I have a big family. um, So we have a few child molesters in the family, um, but only one who's ever been incarcerated. And so it's a very personal, and my brother was molested and um, by the person who is incarcerated, and it happens to be one of my parents. And it's not the parent that most people assume do the sexual abusing. So, and her co-conspirator was a police officer. So it's um, not that I uh, want to just say, oh, sex offenders, we don't have space for them at all. No, but we need to have proportionate, right? Like if, if you were in uh, Klickitat County committing your crime, that's where you get released back to. Um, but instead they're being sent to Pierce County because we have the resources. So what we need is equitable distribution of resources on that front. Um, We have, I think, seven Superfund sites in Tacoma, going back to the bedpan issue. Um, So uh, we just have a toxic history. And, um, And, you know, the governor was promoting methanol in Tacoma. Why? Why? Why not Seattle? You know, why not Olympia? Why not these other areas? Well, because Tacoma is apathetic, you know, vastly speaking. We have very low voter turnout. We're blue collar. We're just kind of gritty, which can often be seen as dirty. So why not put all the dirt in one place? I'm. It's like, I like being gritty. I like getting a little attitude and let it be, you know, let it show. Hey, you don't treat me like this, right? That's gritty. It's not dirty. I don't live in a sty, and I won't let my city be a sty. So um, I am just done. Well, I wonder, you know, as I hear your platform and I, I, I watch this race kind of unfold, you know, I wonder what it means that a candidate like you is now running for office in Tacoma. A candidate, like I said, that has more in common with a Kashama Sawant in Seattle. And the K is silent. A Shama Sawant <laughs> in Seattle. Then, um, then really a lot of people have run for office locally in Tacoma before. You know, I guess Andrews Ibsen on the city council is something of a model. He kind of did come in as a outgoing council member, Andrews Ibsen, mm-hmm. who's finishing up his term, was a kind of progressive voice who tried to push his colleagues but what does it say to you that someone like you with a platform like yours is running for office here in Tacoma now? What does it say about where Tacoma's at? In I its think history? it says that it's changed, like that the change is becoming apparent and that the changes being made have left some of us behind. And so it's time to rise up. It's time to shuffle off that cloak of apathy and say, I have a voice. I'm a single mom uh, who had was ex- accepted to college, but because of my dysfunctional family, no financial aid forms were ever filled out on my behalf. And so I went to community college until my funds ran out and I was unwilling to like go into severe debt to keep going. I just joined the workforce. I went back to school at Bates. I went back to school at Astor Tech. I went back to school at local, um, you know, Alexander Massage School. Like it was very, tra- you know, 
trade oriented and at the same time it's it's not like most of it isn't a a, a trade it's you know I don't know how to describe it, <laughs> uh, you know, a paper pusher and, uh, but then also some skilled jobs. Um, so I have the capacity to be anything, but uh, because life didn't just unfold easily without challenge, which is how it is for most of Tacoma, I came up with challenges and got redirected in life. And uh, I grew up in South End, East Side in South Tacoma. And during the 90s when we were really gritty, and so I have this, like, but then I'm, like, into natural medicine. I'm, like, hippie. But I'm, like, a hippie who will, like, shiv you. <laughs> like, I don't, probably not the best campaign slogan. <laughs> but, um, like— Put I'm, that on a poster. Right? <laughs> Bumper sticker. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, uh, don't mess with me. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll bust your knee, but don't worry. I have a, comf, a comfrey compress for you. Right. Um, so, like, I know how to patch you up after I hurt you. Uh, but, like— um, I'm 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 a Tacoman, and like there are a lot of people from Tacoma and who've been here all their lives, but maybe they own, they're only from North Tacoma, right? They don't have this diverse life experience that South and Nineteenth offers you, or South of Sixth Ave offers you, and um, it's a diversity in perspective and friendships and uh, opportunity, you know. Uh, when was the last time some of the council members worked retail? Did they work food service ever? You know, I did. Um, I, I've, I've also been someone who worked in the emergency room. I wasn't stationed there, but as a phlebotomist, I would go down there to work in the, you know, as called. So, um, and I've lost friends to gang violence. So I have a very personal motivation between my brother's abuse and who who he was abused by and he has passed away so uh, talking about him won't trigger him but um, and the friends I've lost college bound friends you know one and another active gang member like if you don't know gang members you're not talking to your neighbors you know, you didn't have friends in high school then, or you've lived a privileged life. And that is not most of Tacoma. So it means that by me running, Tacoma, the bulk of Tacoma will have more of a voice, and hopefully it'll spur others who are like me, who had the capacity, but whose life took them in an alternate direction under no will of their own will rise up and let their voices be heard as well. So, um, you know, I always feel like I could be doing more to uh, work on winning this race. And so that's, you know, what I carry, my heavy burden, is like, do more, do more. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, no matter what I do, how little or how much I do, I know that I am inspiring more, more of the same. Come on, get out, do this. Um, shake like no more apathy. We we are a city of attitude. Let it be heard. Um, let's make these changes because we're running out of time. Courtney Love, candidate for Tacoma City Council, position seven. seven. Uh, it's been so great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. 
If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, please email me at candice.rude at gmail.com. That's Candice with an I, dot rude, R-U-U-D, at gmail.com. The Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Candice Rude, and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.